And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to My Public Life as an American Nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. Alright kids, we are here on this beautiful Thanksgiving Day. I hope that by the time you hear this, you've already partaken in some big, fat, juicy turkey dinner. And now that your belly's full, you've undone your pants and you're stretched out on the couch and you've got your earbuds in and you're listening to what I have for you in the world of geekdom and nerdum. There of course there's there's always something going on in our culture. It's uh it's always fun because it, it I have to go through and I have to figure out what is more pertinent in interview or not interview but in uh, articles rather to share with you folks and what isn't what is just a complete waste of time. And, you know, there's sometimes it's a complete waste of time, and but it, it's pertinent. And that's how I introduced my first, uh, <laughs> my first article, because he is a big waste of time. Uh, I, I've never, uh, I've never really cared for Bill Murr, Mar, Murr, whatever the heck his name is. And, of course, he went publicly and said that, you know, any way you wrap it, he said that if you're an adult and you read comic books, you're an idiot. You know, that's that's the point of what he was trying to do. He used the death of someone legendary like Stan Lee to, okay, well, because number one, from what I could tell, his you know, um, his talk show, which I didn't even know was still on the air, uh, I guess is doing incredibly poor. And um, you know, this it's it's an old saying, you know, no news is better. Or what's the no? That's not it. It's um, <laughs> oh goodness, my brain just went boop. Uh, you know. In, in the world of celebrities, bad news is just as good as good news, as long as your name is out in print. And he knew what he was doing. He knew that he was going to make people really upset by saying that and uh, disrespecting not only the legacy of Stanley, but the intelligence of our people as a whole. You know, because we're not even going to get into the fact that, you know, in Japan, comic book writers and artists are like rock stars over there. And intelligent-wise, they've been surpassed us for decades. And I know as an American, that kind of that hurts to say, but it's reality. So, you know, just in that makes his, his argument invalid. And it says, you know, Bill Maher recently posted a, a screen entitled Adulting, 
And um, I don't know, guys. It, it, okay. <sighs> I'm trying not to get angry on our first story. That's why I'm knocking it out now instead of waiting until later and going on a complete rant. Um, it says – now, mind you, the, the article that I saw previous to this was that um, – he stuck to his gun. So I guess it depends on what form that you go to and who they support. But it says Bill Maher is wrong. Comic books are important. Now, like I said, just previous to this, I noticed that he stuck to his guns and he's saying, you know, you're an idiot if you're an adult and you read comic books. And it says, you know, that he had criticized uh, people for reading comic books. Uh, let's see. Let me just let me just read this. I'm getting sidetracked already. And where you started the show. It says Bill Maher recently posted a blog entitled "Adulting" on his TV show blog that criticized comic book fans for mourning the passing of Stan Lee. Over three paragraphs, Maher took an aim at Stan Lee's legacy. Academics who study media and adult comic book fans. Yep, 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 yep. In his estimation, comic books are for kids, and by engaging in them, adults are using their smarts on stupid stuff. Mar is well known for expressing his views, considered himself a pro provocateur. He's a – this is a clean show. This is a clean show. <laughs> Almost slipped. Uh, however, in this case, his comments were poorly considered and uninformed. Well, that's kind of saying it mildly. It says, Marr writes that even when he was young, everybody assumed comic books were for kids. And when you grow up, you move on to big boy books without the pictures. Setting aside the ridiculous idea that just because a book has pictures in it, it always for kids. The argument just as silly as the one that says animated movies are only for kids, no matter the story being told. Yeah, you know, I just picked up, uh, what is it, Heavy Metal? The original Heavy Metal on Blu-ray? And I... That's not for kids. I'm not letting my kids see that. Not until they're old enough. Uh, let's see. Mars stated our statement is perpetuating a stereotype that took root after the end of World War II. During the war, comic books rose in popularity and superheroes like Captain America were developed as a means to rally Americans around the war effort. At the time, these patriotic stories were written and read by everybody, including kids. After the war, however, concerns grew about the, the influence of comics and what they could be doing to their child reading them. In 1954, the now if you're a comic fan, you should know what I'm about to say. In 1954... The psychiatrist Frederick Wetham published the book, that's right, Seduction of the Innocent, which blamed comic books for juvenile delinquency. 
if you're young, you can grab a copy of it. It it, it really it, it goes into it's the biggest pile of crap that you'll probably read from that era. But yeah, it it says that that's where the whole comic book authority code comes in. But uh, or comic code authority. But I think that's coming up next, actually. Although Witham's work has since been discredited, his book triggered a public outcry and led to the congressional hearings. In response, comic book publishers created the Comic Code Authority to avoid government regulation, resulting in the censorship of comic books and their content. In the process, comics lost their edge and became sanctitized giving rise to the perception that they were for kids only. Yeah, 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 yeah. The past few decades have since... Oh, it's been more than that, hasn't it? Was it the 90s? I guess not. Almost, almost. Like two and a half decades, actually. The past few decades have been the comic industry's pushback against the restrictions brought by the comic code with publications of comic books that delve into serious stories with nutrients and sobriety. Which, as Watchmen, Manus, and The Dark Knight Returns. However, the perception that comic books are just for kids persists and has led to the stigmatization of comic book readers being immature and childish. You would be surprised. You'd legitimately be surprised how many fist fights I got into as a kid because I was a comic book fan. Yet, given the realities of the medium today, blending patriotism and the ideas of comic books are for kids, as well as among other things, as Mar does, perpetuates a harmful stigma. In fact, while Marr Associates adults continue to interest in comics today with the so-called dumbing down of America, it's really comic book fans pushing back against the inequity of the stereotypes that no longer apply. We all know that the reason popular culture, including comic books, is popular is because it's fun. Yet fun doesn't account for why fans invest so heavily in the comic books, let alone the movies, TV shows, and video games based on them. This keeps the interest coming from a highly personal connection with a character and their story. When a reader or view makes a personal connection with a character, the experience goes beyond enjoyment. The reader becomes emotionally involved and as a result, experiences become more meaningful. When fans invest in any medium of this level, they don't forget about the experience as soon as they stop reading. Instead, they continue to reflect on what they've consumed and what it means to their lives in particular. Fans bring their own stories, their histories, their perspectives, and their experiences into what they read leading different people to focus on different messages in the same story. A story's impact can differ from person to person. As we grow older, our perspective of the entertainment we enjoy shifts too. We may still like the same comic book or movie, but we may relate to the story for different reasons. 
So when children may enjoy comic books for their bright colors and tales of their bright colors and heroism, the comic book reader grows up and starts seeing the real-world issues the stories metaphorically tackle. They also are able to relate to the characters in new ways, including the weight of responsibility and the need to overcome obstacles that may many comic books and their characters' shoulders. In fact, research has found that adult fans of superhero comic books enjoy these stories because they can learn from them and apply them to their lives. For instance, in a study, one fan claimed she was Wonder Woman as a role model because her use because her use of Demoplabil I can't talk today, kids, I'm sorry. Um instead of different situations was something she could emulate in real life. Comic books show characters coping with hardships, figuring out how to use their strength positively and articulating what makes life meaningful and valuable this isn't kids stuff as an open letter to stan lee's company observed lee brought us many characters that speak to important issues including black panther the x-men spider-man and the hulk as a result dismissing this work as only valuable children is small-minded at best in a study of comics who read adult or <laughs> in a study of adults who read comics, one fan said he viewed Lee as a sort of an instructor who imparted moral messages through his Spider-Man comics. Those messages inspired this fan to apply what he learned in his daily life, which ultimately helped him find greater meaning and purpose. It's a sentiment many fans of Lee likely share, a legacy to admire. Fiction takes us out of our daily lives in the process. It lets us explore other places and perspectives, other attitudes and values. When we experience stories that speak to us, we often come away changed. It gives us space to grapple with important issues and think about what matters in a way that the hustle and bustle of daily life often makes important. When we take what we've learned back to our lives, we learn, we grow, and improve in the process. Adults who find that meaning in comic books can benefit from the experience in ways that enhance and enrich their adulting abilities. Just as they can from any other storytelling delivery device. Comic books are important. And their influence will last much longer and go much deeper than one man claiming they're not. So go ahead and run your mouth, Bill Maher. It just proves that you're ignorant and you 
are the one that needs to grow up. All right, kids. Um, I'm shifting gears here. I uh, don't want to get too much into it here, get my blood pressure going. Uh, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before that, but um, we talked about how the the church of Satan, or didn't we? Yeah, I think we did. I know that uh, the World of Myth Bits, which is a, another podcast here on the Jaisal Modcast Podcast Network, did. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not 100% sure if we actually talked about it or not. Um, but if I believe we did. And it's pretty much what happened is, is that uh, Netflix put out The Adventures of Sabrina. And it's satanic and devilish and dark and all this good stuff. And they used a statue of Baphomet. And Baphomet, the, it, the character itself is not a big deal, but they actually took the idea from another statue, which was copyrighted and trademarked. So the Church of Satan uh, threatened to sue Netflix. So now that all this talk has come about, we get this news today, and it is The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Netflix settles with Satanic uh, Temple over Baphomet statue. So in other words, they had to shell out some cash, I bet ya. Okay, let's see what it says. Shortly after the debut of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina debuted, the series found itself in the middle of an unexpected controversy due to its use of the statue created by the Satanic Temple. The organization took legal action against Netflix for using a design which they had copyright over. The Satanic Temple representation... That just doesn't sound right. <laughs> uh, confirmed that the concerning, concerned parties reached a settlement. The Satanic Temple is pleased to announce that the lawsuit it recently filed against Warner Brothers and Netflix has been settled. The Satanic Temple attorney, Stuart D. Hahn, shared in a statement to Hollywood Reporter. The unique elements of the Satanic Temple's Baphomet statue will be acknowledged in the credits of its episode which has already been filmed. The remaining terms of the settlement are subject to a confidentiality agreement, like how much money they had to pay. <laughs> yeah, watch. Shortly after the series debut, uh, Lucen Graves, co-founder and spokesperson of the Satanic Temple, took to Twitter to point out the similarities between the statue depicted in the series, and their monument created by the organization. It is deeply problematic to us, Graves shared in the SF Gate. I don't know, kids. We'll have to look that up later. But even if that wasn't the case, we've been obligated to make a copyright claim because that's how copyrights work. The organization unveiled a nine-foot tall statue in Detroit in 2015, which was intended to be displayed across the, the across from a statue of the Ten Commandments in Oklahoma. 
In the Netflix series, the monument appears in the Academy of the Unseen Arts and represents connections to Satan himself, despite the real-life monument not intending to be modeled in the likeliness of Lucifer. In that regard, Grace feels as though the use of the Satanic Temple's monument could misinterpret what the icon is meant to represent, and the prominent use of the symbol as the central focus point of the school associated with evil, cannibalism, and murder. It is disgusting on the grounds that you have to worry about that association being made where people will see your monument and not know which precedes the other, Graves detailed. And thinking that you're arbitrarily decided to go with the Sabrina design for your Baphomet monument, which rather cheapens our central icon. With the current debut season of the series currently on Netflix, it is unclear when the credits will be updated to acknowledge the origin of the statue, though they will likely reflect the updates by the time the holiday theme episode Sabrina debuts on December 14th. Stay tuned for details on the future of the chilling adventures of Sabrina. So, there you have it, kids. Um, essentially, what it comes down to is that they sued them and they settled out of the court. And so they're like, okay, we'll give you credit for Baphomet's statue, and we're going to give you a lot of money. So we all know that's what it comes down to, is they gave them a boatload of money, and now they're happy. Everything's fine, and we move on. But I just thought it was interesting that it... Because, again, I'm trying to understand this full wholeheartedly, because... Now, okay, there's been many crucifixes, and I'm not even Catholic, but I'm just using this because it, it, it a representation, right? So there has been many crucifixes used in horror films, and they're all based off of the Catholic design. So does that give the right for the Catholic Church, the, the Vatican, to go sue every horror movie that's used a crucifix? Just one of those things that you need to think about, you know? Or is it only specifically on something individualized as the statue? Because is it... Because they're not what this guy's saying... Is that it's not even so much that it's um, they use the design. He said it's it's used in a negative light. So it, it it doesn't even matter about the copyright to him. It's because they're saying that Satanists are evil. You, you see what I'm trying to say? It, it just I don't know. There's there's more to it. You know, the the ohm. I, I've seen, you know, people, what was it? It was a foreign film that used the ohm. And 
you know, they were like the bad guys. And so does that religion have a qualm to sue that producer because they use the own? See what I'm saying? I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, we'll have to sit back and watch and see what happens, but it just kind of, I don't know. It's something, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. All right. So we move into the next subject and it is star Wars. And it says star Wars episode nine details with Carrie Fisher's death in a beautiful way. Okay. I'm, I, I was kind of curious to see how I, I've been trying to stay clear of anything like this, but you know, I'm, I'm curious probably as much as you guys are. It says Oscar Isaac promises that star Wars episode nine will honor the late Carrie Fisher in a beautiful way. Beloved for her role in the franchise as Leia Origama, or Ghana, sorry, Fisher passed away in December 2016 after completing the work on Star Wars The Last Jedi. Lucasfilms intended to use unseen footage of Fisher for The Force Awakens and, or from The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi to complete General Oregana's arc and J.J. Abrams' upcoming sequel. Speaking with the Daily Beast, Isaac, who plays the Renaissance pilot, Poe Dameron, said Episode 9 will honor Leia and Fisher's sense of fun. Uh, okay. That, that wasn't really what I was expecting. The story deals with the, that quite a bit, he said. It's a strange thing to be on the set and to be speaking of Leia and having Carrie not be around. There's definitely some pain in that. Comparing the experience on set to the first two installments, he said, there's a looseness and the energy to the way that you're shooting this feels very different. Fisher's absence is knelt, felt keenly on set, Isaac said, adding that Episode 9 deals with an amazing character that Carrie created in a really beautiful way. And then, of course, down at the bottom, it gives you the, the whole shebang of Directed, co-written by J.J. Abrams, Star Wars Episode Nine stars Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Lupia Nyong'o, Kelly Marie Tran, Jonas something, Billy Lord, Carrie Russell, Matt Smith, Anthony Daniels, Mark Hamill, Billy D. Williams, and Carrie Fisher. And Naomi Aki, Richard E. Grant, the film is scheduled to open December 20th, 2019. Well, I'm hoping that they don't just kind of like be funny, haha, and just pass it off. I hope that they actually take time and, and well, it's he did a good job in Force Awakens. So I, I'm kind of hopeful that he'll do a good job with this one, too. Because I, I don't think that, I mean, again, this is my own interpretation, but I, I, if it's the very last Star Wars that we know of with the characters that we know of before it goes into uh, 
what's his face's trilogy. It, it needs to be serious. I mean, there can be some lightheartedness, but you know, it's, essentially, what's going to happen is everybody's going to freaking die, and um, I, I think that needs to be handled with some seriousness. That's just my interpretation of it, kids. Let's see. Um, speaking of interpretations, uh, I don't know if we really talked much about the Joker movie. It's been pretty tight-lipped. There, there hasn't really been that much. Um, and they released a thing today, a new statement, and it says the Joker movie synopsis teases a cautionary tale. So, I'm curious. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just enjoying the ride, kids. I, I still, I'm kind of, kind of eh about the whole makeup thing. Because I, I, I get that it's supposed to be an ode to, like, uh, Cesar Romero's 1966, but it's not going to be campy. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, let's see what it says. The official synopsis of the upcoming Joker solo film prom promises that the story will be a cautionary tale of sorts. The film is being directed by Todd Phillips, War Dogs, and seeks to explore the early years of the Joker outside of his long... Oh, wait a minute. How is it... How is it... The early days of the Joker. Huh. Okay. I don't know. I just something struck me wrong in that 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 idea. Because as I'm reading it, it says that it seeks to explore the early days of the Joker outside of his long standing um agonism agonism with Batman, his rivalry. He can't talk. Now, but in every single incarnation, Batman was responsible for the Joker falling in the vat of acid. So how does that work? If it's not with Batman, I don't know. Okay, the film will not feature Bruce Wayne, like I was just saying, as the Dark Knight but will instead showcase Gotham City with a grimy edge to it before Batman even appeared. Again, back to my original what I was saying. Batman is responsible for the Joker falling in the vat of acid. So, yeah. Okay. Early reports... And the new synopsis revealed that Joaquin Phoenix will play a struggling comedian named Arthur Fleck, who goes off on the deep end and becomes the Joker. The film is reportedly similar to The King of Comedy, a dark comedy from Martin Scorsese that starred Robert De Niro. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just... Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Take a movie that has nothing to do with the Joker and base it around that. That makes perfect, perfect sense. Yes, that is loaded with sarcasm, kids. Uh, De Niro is set to appear 
in the Joker, supposedly as a late show comedy host. Late night. They forgot night. Late night show comedy host. With Mark Marin acting as the booking agent for his comedy show. Oh, mercy, mercy, mercy. It says, check out the full synopsis below. Joker centers around the iconic arch nemesis and is the original standalone story set seen or not seen before on the big screen. The exploration of Arthur Fleck, Joaquin Phoenix, a man disregarded by society, is not only a gritty character study, but also a broading cautionary tale. Directed and co-written by Phillips, Joker stars Joaquin Phoenix as the spectacular character alongside with Robert De Niro, Mark Marin, Zizi Beats, Francis Conroy, Brett Collin, and Bill Camp, and is scheduled to be released on October 4th, 2019. I think this is going to be really bad. I, I don't want it to be really bad because I do like Joaquin Phoenix. He's an amazing actor. But, ah, yeah, if you have all these people and they don't know what Joker is, they don't know. They don't know. They're just, I don't know. It's, it's the pop culture. It's, uh, yeah, it's not going to be good. We all know this. We all, I mean, as sad as it sounds, we all know this is not going to be good. It's just going to, well, okay, it'll probably be a good movie. But as far as it being a good Joker movie, with the Joker that we know, it's probably not going to be. It's probably going to be confusing. Um, well, because like I'm already confused on the fact of how is it that he, uh, he I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't understand Warner Brothers, to be honest with you. I really don't. I, I think it's just because they're like, oh, you know, comic book movies are, are making money and, and uh, you know, Marvel is just doing an amazing job at making billion-dollar movies, you know, making uh, billion-dollar profit, rather, and um, let's do it. You know, we don't – we're not going to worry about anything that's making the Marvel movies good with, like, consistency, but – We'll just put them out, and, and the fans will flock to it, and we'll make tons and tons of money. That's what it feels like. You know, I I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, um, I just want a good Batman movie. That's all I want. That's all I want is a good Batman movie. You know? Not much to ask for. All right, let's see. What else do I have on here? Oh, yes. 
So um, we can talk about the fact that there is another Deadpool coming out, and I, I don't know enough to really talk about it, so I was going to wait until next week until I found out more. Plus, I know that the new Avengers uh, trailer comes out next week, too. Uh, comes out tomorrow, in fact, on Black Friday. But um, So I can't really talk about that, but there's a bit of information that's flying around, and I, I'm like, yeah, I just don't buy it. And it's it says, Hugh Jackman doesn't think the world wants a Wolverine-Deadpool crossover. Now, I think they're just messing with us, to be honest with you. I think that he has all intentions to do a Wolverine-Deadpool uh, crossover. I think he just they're, just, they're they're raising anticipation because he's like, nah, nah, nah. And the more he says, nah, 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 everybody's like, yes, yes, yes. You know, we want to see this. We want to see... We want to see Hugh Jackman one more time as Wolverine. And I'm one of those people. I, I think that go ahead and let him do it one more time. I, I am for the idea that it's time to, to trade in and, and see what other new actor can portray Wolverine. Um, hopefully, maybe this time, someone that's actually more closer to what the actual character looks like. Um, you know, because like Jackman's six two, Wolverine, the character Wolverine is like five three, five two, five three. So he's literally an entire foot taller than his comic counterpart. But you know, I I did like Hugh Jackman. I've always liked Hugh Jackman. I don't think um he's done a bad job. I mean, he's he's an excellent actor. I've seen him in other things outside of uh, you know the the Wolverine roles. He's a fantastic actor. Anyway, uh, so it says that he doesn't think that the fans want a Wolverine-Deadpool crossover. And it says, while Deadpool star Ryan Reynolds is incredibly hot for the idea of Hugh Jackman returning to the iconic role of Wolverine, for some sort of crossover between the two characters, Jackman himself apparently believes that the Wolverine-Deadpool crossover is simply not something that would truly connect with the X-Men fan base. Mm hmm Yeah. 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 Everybody's clamoring for it. So he's like, I don't think so. Watch. Watch. In the next few years, there will be one. I bet you there will be. And an interview clip of... Let's see... Sorry, kids, I lost my place. I'm reading. Uh, in a clip of an interview from the upcoming episode of Sunday Today released by People, Jackman was asked by Willie Guest if he believed Wolverine would ever return to the big screen. And he said, oh, Wolverine will be back, Hugh Jackman, said Hugh Jackman. Someone's going to buy him. I don't know. That doesn't make sense, does it? Oh, Wolverine will be back, said Jackman. Someone's going to buy him. I don't know. Not not you, though, Guest added. Does it mean like someone's going to act him? I don't know. No, but Ryan Reynolds is resentless, Jackman continued. He keeps coming back to me. 
and all these ways, shapes, and forms I just said. You know, I just don't think the world really wants to see Deadpool and Wolverine. Maybe a camo cameo in Deadpool. I just think it runs over it for Deadpool. Hmm. The of course, Jackman and Reynolds have actually already appeared on screen together as Logan and Wade Wilson, respectively. However, it came in the form of the 2009 X-Men Origin Wolverine, a film that was and has been largely panned by fans and critics alike due in part to the inaccurate portrayal of Deadpool. Given the fact that Reynolds adores his current version of Deadpool, it stands to reason that he would want to take another crack at a crossover. Meanwhile, however, Jackman effectively retired as Wolverine after his 17-year tenure as the character ended on the extraordinary high note with the release of 2017's Logan. With that in mind, it makes sense why both actors feel the way they do on the matter. Jackman and Reynolds did technically appear together as the iconic Marvel characters in 2018's Deadpool 2, which includes archive footage from X-Men Origins during the sequel where Deadpool takes it upon himself to clean up the timeline. However, considering Jackman's comments, those few moments may be the closest thing viewers get to a proper Wolverine-Deadpool crossover. I don't buy it, guys. I just, I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't. Uh-uh. I, I think that it's all just kind of a they're they're playing with us is what they're doing. And I think that like I said, in the next few years, um we'll get something. I bet you will get something. Now, the next thing I'm gonna read, I, I haven't really mentioned him on this show before but we've all kind of like followed him and it's the bat kid in fact didn't uh oh what's her name um pretty woman julie roberts she like produced uh, a documentary about him and so i decided we're going to close out on a little bit of good news because he's a kid after all you know so let's close out on some good news like heartfelt because after all it is thanksgiving this is something to be thankful about bat kid has officially defeated his arch nemesis and is cancer free that is so cool that is so so cool that that as a father that really touches my heart it says bat kid has officially beaten cancer Miles Scott first arose to the prominence five years ago, affected with leukemia. Then five year then the five year old Miles was visited by Make a Wish Foundation, the group which provides experiences for extremely sick children turned Miles into Bat Kid. Now, as reported by the San Francisco Chronicle, Miles is officially cancer free. Miles, 
who lives with his parents and two siblings in Temecula, California, not too long, far from here, is currently in fifth grade and is living a normal, healthy childhood. Miles' story took to the country by storm in 2013. Dressed in his own superhero costume, Miles was joined by an actor dressed as Batman and tasked with helping saving San Francisco. He saved hostages, helped bring down the Riddler, and was awarded the key to the city by the mayor. Hundreds came out to support for Miles and helped sell the idea. The widespread coverage of the event proved beneficial to Make-A-Wish Foundation, which reported a massive increase in donations, thanks in part to the exposure for Bat-Kid. A documentary, Bat-Kid Begins, the wish heard around the world, had been produced about the event. The documentary was released in 2015 and is currently available for purchase. So there you go, kids. A little bit of good news before we wrap up this day. Um, you know, I I I know kids, in particular one that comes to mind that passed away from leukemia. So I'm very happy that he beat it. Bless you, little one. May you have a prosperous life. All right, kids, that is it for this episode of My Public Life as an American Nerd. Come back next week and we will do it all over again. Because, you know, there's always comic book news, nerd news. And if you want me to talk about something, drop me a line. You can reach me at My Public Life as an American Nerd at jaselmon.com or My Public Life at jaselmon.com. And you can reach us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look in Jayzo Modcast. J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O. Did you see? Oh, my goodness. I actually messed up. J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-D-C-A-S-T. And you will find our page on Facebook or Twitter. Or you can find us online at jzomon, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N dot com slash jzomodcast, J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-D-C-A-S-T. And you'll find this show plus many others on the network. So for this episode, I am David K. Montoya, and I bid you a great Thanksgiving day. And of course, I bid you adieu.